Thanks for checking into our latest episode of Management Decisions, where we discuss topics that impact day-to-day business operation, hiring practices, and more. I'm your host, Katie Chesney, and today we're discussing myths and facts surrounding hiring individuals with disabilities. And joining me to discuss this topic is Felicia Nermsen, President and CEO of Inclusive Workforce Strategies. Felicia, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much, Katie. Now, can you give us a brief background on what the American with Disabilities Act is for those who may not be familiar with it? Absolutely. The Americans with Disabilities Act, or ADA, is a landmark federal law passed in 1990 that protects the rights of people with disabilities by eliminating barriers to their participation in many aspects of living and working in America. For our discussion today, we'll be focusing on Title I of the ADA covering employment. Under Title I, employers are prohibited from discriminating against a qualified individual with a disability with respect to job applications, hiring, training, compensation, advancement, accessibility, and other terms and conditions of employment, including termination. Really, in summary, the foundation of the ADA is America's promise of equal access to opportunity for all citizens. And with this act, are employers required to hire and retain a certain number of individuals with disabilities? Okay, now this is a great question, Katie, because it really is a bigger answer than this kind of first initial answer that I'm going to give you. Okay. In general, employers are not required to hire people with disabilities. The ADA was passed to prohibit discrimination based on disability in the workplace, and this is enforced by the EEOC. But there are other things that we're going to cover later on in our discussion as it relates to federal contractors. So just in general, the ADA does not require employers to hire people with disabilities. It really is just about prohibiting discrimination based on disability. Okay. And one more thing before we dive into some of the myths that we're going to discuss today. Can you give us a rundown of what exactly a disability is? Under the ADA, a disability is defined as a person who has a physical or mental impairment that substantially limits one or more major life activities, a person who has a history or record of such an impairment, or a person who is perceived by others as having such an impairment. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't find this definition to be particularly helpful. Not um, really, no. (laughs) (laughs) Right? (laughs) I mean, a disability really can be visible or non-visible. And if a candidate has a non-visible disability that he or she does not disclose, we're not allowed to ask them what their disability is as an employer. So I think it's just important to keep focused, you know, any questions focused on the job and the person's match for the position. Really don't try to imagine how you would accomplish a task with a candidate's disability. And people with disabilities have adapted and incorporated successful strategies to live and work. Individuals with the you know with same disabilities may have different means of accomplishing the same task. All in all, when it comes to really defining disability, it's really important to just focus on the person's ability. It may be difficult, you know, coming out of the gate, you know, to really be specific and particularly as it relates to disclosure. But I think one of the things that we can do as employers to to help to avoid some confusion, Mm -hmm. is that if we ask all of our candidates, regardless, as they come in and they're going through the, you know, the application process or through the interview process, are you able to perform the essential functions of the position for which you are applying with or without reasonable accommodations? That one question could really help 
with any confusion that we have around disability and open up a more comfortable discussion, if you will, with that person, the individual sitting in front of you. All right. And one thing that I was just wondering about, I've heard that, you know, trying to figure out if an individual has a disability shouldn't require extensive analysis. And I'm just wondering, is there a resource out there that could be helpful for employers to kind of to help them determine what exactly a disability is? Because I've heard that things like diabetes and cancer and people who have had cancer and depression, those are all considered disabilities. And those are all things that you, you they're non-visible. You can't see that. Absolutely. There are some really great resources out there. First and foremost, you know, one of the things that I always recommend is that if you are confused, if you're having difficulty, you're a hiring manager, et cetera, you can always reach out to your own internal resources, being, you know, anyone within your HR department as well as any legal resources. But there are other really great resources that you can research on your own. Really, the U.S. Department of Labor's Office of Disability Employment Policy website great resource. We'll point you in other directions as well to help you to investigate certain disabilities, et cetera. But there's also askjan.org and askearn.org, two really great resources for employers. Now, the first myth that I wanted to discuss today is that individuals with disabilities can't be fired. Why do a lot of employers think that this is something that's true? I think that because we really honestly, you know, as employers, we want to do the right thing. And I think that we honestly believe that people with disabilities is a protected class. But, you know, employers can fire workers with Mm -hmm. disabilities. They really are under three conditions. The termination is unrelated to the disability. The employee does not meet the legitimate requirements for the job, such as performance or production standards with or without a reasonable accommodation. And then because of the employee's disability, he or she may pose a direct threat to health or safety in the workplace. So the answer is yes, you can fire an employee with a disability. However, termination should be the last step really in an involved documented disciplinary process for employees failing to meet clearly defined performance goals and expectations. The process should be consistent for all employees. So if you are following a consistent process for all of your employees, that includes people with disabilities, and it includes all of your disciplinary action up to and including termination. You mentioned um, documentation and consistency. So what recommendations would you have for employers to kind of develop and tweak their policies as it relates to termination to ensure that they are accurately and thoroughly documenting things and being consistent across the base with all employees, not just individuals who have disabilities? Honestly, a challenge for most employers is that, well, you know, and as employers, documentation is our salvation, particularly with within any disciplinary action or any, you know, the well-defined disciplinary process, there has to be documentation that's involved in that. And really, you do need to develop a clearly defined documentation process for disciplinary action, including termination, and apply that process consistently with all employees. You know, it can be just a matter of, you know, the first verbal warning, written warning, termination. You know, that tends to be, you know, kind of a standard best practice, if you will, across employment, but making sure that you are documenting that process each time and that it is consistent, again, for all employees really is very important. Now, moving on to our second myth here, we have the um, under the ADA and Section 503 of the Rehabilitation Act of 1973, 
employers think that they're required to hire a, a certain number of individuals with disabilities. So where is this confusion coming here from here with this you know, kind of numeric goal that employers think they have to have? Well, this is great because this is all new, mm-hmm. right, um, particularly with the Section 503 rules. Now, again, in general, employers are not required to hire individuals with disabilities. The ADA prohibits discrimination, and that's enforced by the EEOC. However, Section 503 of the Rehabilitation Act of 1973 applies to federal contractors and is enforced by the Office of Federal Contract Compliance Policy, or OFCCP. OFCCP dictates that a federal contractor or subcontractor receiving in excess of $50,000 in federal contracts must abide by mandatory job listing requirements to reach job seekers from diverse groups. And that diverse group, those diverse groups now include people with disabilities. That changed. On August 27th of 2013, the U.S. Department of Labor announced a final rule to approve hiring and employment of both veterans and people with disabilities. One rule updates requirements under the Vietnam-era Veterans Readjustment Assistance Act of 1974, or VEVRA, and that is a completely different discussion, obviously, but the rule did cover both. So mm-hmm. I wanted to just make sure that people were aware of that. The other updates, those under Section 503 of the Rehabilitation Act. And what the new rule does is it introduces the utilization goal. The final rule established a nationwide 7% utilization goal for qualified individuals with disabilities. So that means federal contractors will apply the goal to each of their job groups, or if their entire workforce of a contractor has 100 or fewer employees, then it applies to their their entire workforce. They must conduct an annual utilization analysis and assessment of problem areas and establish specific action-oriented programs to address any identified problems. Now, there's confusion over that simply because when we start to hear, you know, hear about the different changes in law, et cetera, employers are concerned and they want to make sure, obviously, that you are following, you know, whatever the new changes are. But if you are not a federal contractor, the utilization goal does not apply to you. However, it is just a good practice to really follow those guidelines as an employer in general to ensure that there may come a time when you are connected with a federal contractor and it, the rule does slow down. There is a slow down process and it goes to all of the subcontractors involved with servicing that contract. There are other requirements under the new rules, including mm-hmm. data collection, invitation to self-identify, et cetera. But quite honestly, we could spend our entire discussion and more just talking about the new Section 503 regs. And that's really not the intent of our discussion today. <laughs> there definitely are a lot of things changing within OFCCP and I know a lot of employers are confused about Section 503 and VEVRA. Do you have any resources for employers if, you know, they're not sure if they're a federal contractor and they have to be in line with that utilization goal and those hiring benchmarks so they can figure out if, you know, hey, do I need to do this or do I not qualify for this? There is, and I'm going to keep, you know, I keep going back to the same resources, but I have to tell you, the U.S. Department of Labor has done such a fantastic job of keeping up with really all of the questions and answers as it, regarding the new Section 503 regs. And there is just a question and answer page on the U.S. Department of Labor's website okay. as long as if you put in OFCCP and Section 503. And they have done a fantastic job of keeping that updated as they you know, receive new questions and as it relates to that you know, portion of 
the sections that apply for your affirmative action policies, et cetera. So I, I really, I highly recommend that as a resource to anyone who has questions at this point, as well as your local OFCTP office, you know, obviously can help you as well. Well, there you go. So if you have any questions about if you are required to be in compliance with those utilization goals and hiring benchmarks, head over there for those resources. But for now, we're going to move on to our next myth, and that is that when there are several qualified applicants for a job and one has a disability, the ADA requires the employer to hire the person with the disability. So why is this misunderstood? And I think it goes back to this, you know, the, the protected class stamp. You know, okay. um, I think as employers, we, you know, again, we want to do the right thing. We want to ensure that we're following the laws, et cetera. But quite honestly, an employer is always free to hire the applicant, applicant of its choosing long as the decision is not based on disability. If, and I'll give you an example. If two people apply for a data entry position mm-hmm. where both speed and accuracy are required, the employer can hire the person with the higher speed and level of accuracy because he or she is the most qualified. The bottom line is the ADA does not give hiring preference to people with disabilities. Well, there you have it. It does seem kind of like cut and dry that it's really simple. It can be confusing because Sometimes when a situation occurs like this, you, know, you think, you know, what, what should I do? What do I do if I have, you know, a person with a disability and someone who, you know, does not have a visual disability? How am I going to make this decision? And I always go back to, you know, what I said earlier is don't try to imagine how you would accomplish a job task with the candidate's disability, right? Mm-hmm. You need to try to just put your preconceived ideas away and understand people with disabilities have adapted and as long as we are hiring the most qualified person based on ability, then we're, we're following the right process. All right. So other than the, the use three myths that we've touched on today, are there any other areas where a lot of employers are confused with the ADA and what they are required and are not required to do? Yes. I think really another common misconception is around accommodation. Okay. Title I of the ADA prohibits discrimination in employment against people with disabilities requiring employers to make reasonable accommodations to the known physical or mental limitations of a qualified applicant or employee, unless such accommodation would impose an undue hardship on the employer. Now, I'm not going to cover undue hardship because that really is it can be very fluid as far as the definition of undue hardship, and it is based on the individual employer. Obviously, an employer that has 10 employees or 20 employees, an undue hardship is going to look much different to that employer as opposed to someone that has 60,000 employees, right? Mm-hmm. So if we think about reasonable accommodations, they include actions like making work sites accessible, which I think is what we think about most commonly, you know, okay, I have to install a ramp or I have to install the, you know, the button for my door, um, et cetera, which can be, you know, fairly cost prohibitive if we're looking at that for some businesses. But it also can be something as easy as modifying existing equipment, providing new devices, modifying a work schedule, restructuring a job, or providing readers or interpreters. And what most employers do not understand is that 80% of accommodations cost less than $1,000, and 50% of those being between $1 and $500. Okay. So accommodations can be made easily, and most times are just not cost prohibitive at all. That's very interesting that it, it really is not that expensive to make an accommodation for an employee. It just isn't. And I think, you know, again, when we, we think about you know, when we think about disability, I think we think about our most severely disabled or those 
common, you know, disabilities that we think of, mobility, mm-hmm. you know, wheelchair users, et cetera. And, and like I said, we tend to think about a curb cut, right? We've made curb cuts and it's just standard now for us in our country to have those curb cuts for people, you know, with disabilities to, to be able to get onto the sidewalk, correct? Mm-hmm. And, you know, initially very expensive, but now it's just common practice because it makes sense. And we all benefit from that. When we think about really that one in six people are touched by disability in some way throughout their lives, that accommodations can be very easy to make and very zero. You know, a work, really kind of a work accommodation or the schedule accommodation could cost you nothing. And you are able to then hire a very productive and loyal employee and, and you win in the long run. No, we're unfortunately up against the clock today, but as we look to wrap up the show, I wanted to give you a minute here at the end to share any additional thoughts or advice to our employers as it relates to hiring individuals with disabilities. I think traditionally we think of disability in the most common categories, mobility or wheelchair users, blind and deaf or intellectual disabilities. However, I think that it's really important to understand that 80% of disabilities are are required as a result of age and illness. And at the same time, the aging workforce will increase from 12% to 20% of the working population by 2025. You know, given this fact, as well as many employers, and some as high as one in three report having difficulty filling positions due to the lack of available talent, you know, as a result, we as employers will need to look at talent pools that have traditionally gone untapped. And our goal as employers must be to develop talent acquisition strategies inclusive of people with disabilities. This is the largest untapped talent pool, not only in the U.S., but globally. Finally, education is key. Provide basic disability etiquette and awareness for your employees, and you will begin to see a positive shift in your workforce development strategies. Simply put, when we focus on ability, we all win. And with that said, we will wrap up today's show of Management Decisions. We've been speaking with Felicia Nermsen, President and CEO of Inclusive Workforce Strategies. Felicia, thanks for joining us and sharing your insight today. Thank you so much, Katie, for having me. I appreciate it. Now, if you're looking for more information, strategies, and tips, head over to aljnradio.com. We thrive on your feedback, so shoot us an email with any comments, suggestions, or questions at aljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. And once again, I'm your host, Katie Chesney with LJN Radio. Radio.